Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, today we're beginning a three-part conversation we're calling Tis the Season, and it might surprise you what this conversation is about. Um, because it's a topic that we often tiptoe around at times and, and, and for good reason because we're going to be talking uh, about money today because we feel like it's better to have the conversation about money before you go into the holiday season than in January when we end up with most of our conversations with you uh, about money. So um, if talking about money in church makes you uncomfortable, I get that. If this is the first time that you're here with our, us at any of our churches today and you're going, okay, this is the reason I quit going to church because they all talk about money. Uh, let me let me just say, here's what I know. You may have had some really bad experiences with preachers and money, like you sent in a thousand dollars and they sent you some little cloth and it was supposed to change your life and it made you go broke. I, I get all of that. I get it. I mean, there's a lot of cons out there. So here's the thing. Wh whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, let me just go ahead and put all of us at ease right at the start. This is not a way to get you to give money to this church. So you can go ahead and take a deep breath and you can go ahead and relax. That is not the intention of this sermon series at all. But before we get into the intention of this whole series, I want to celebrate with you some of the ways that you have blessed our communities over the last four weeks by loving and giving and serving through our whole four emphasis that we've been through. Uh, it's been absolutely amazing. So you can turn your attention to the side screen. Yeah, go ahead and celebrate that, all of our churches, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being a church that is for others in our community and for each other, the way that we love and serve and care for one another. So, hey, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, your RCC app, whichever one you're going to use today as we jump into this series of conversations. And so to start off, let me just kind of answer the question. So what is our motive for talking about money in this season? Well, these next three weeks are designed really to help each one of us really be more aware of what money is doing to us, both personally and spiritually. We want to help you identify those quiet and oftentimes those unnoticed thoughts and attitudes that we all have about money. Those ones that just kind of silently sit in the background of our minds. They're shaping our thoughts. They're guiding our hearts and they're exerting influence into our lives and our relationships in ways that we don't even realize. Because here's what I know. We are moving into the holiday season. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving, and then before you know it, you're going to be celebrating Christmas, and this is the season of the year when our minds just kind of naturally shift to start thinking about ways to show compassion and kindness and generosity and service to other people, and that's not a problem. In fact, that is absolutely wonderful. The problem is, as you just saw in the bumper video for this sermon series, it's not just a season for compassion and service and generosity and kindness. It's not just a season for celebrating Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is the season for spending. Listen, this year, U.S. holiday spending is predicted to hit $221 billion. Now, here are two very interesting and very alarming facts about holiday spending this year. The first one is that over 51% of the shopping is going to be done on people's phones and tablets. This is the first time in the history of spending 
in a holiday season that mobile has become the dominant way that people are going to make their purchases, making it easier for everyone to be more impulsive. The second one is, is that people, as they have surveyed people going into this season, there are more people than ever that are planning on using a buy now, pay later kind of plan. Whether that's an in-store plan, whether that's like an Amazon buy, whatever you know, the organization or the company has for you, or putting it on a credit card. Which is automatically going to add to the already economic burden that a lot of people are already carrying into 2024 based upon inflation. See, this is the season when many of us will put more on credit cards than we should, we'll spend more than we should, and we're going to justify it because we're just trying to be generous to the people in our families. This is a season when we become more careless about spending and we rationalize it because we're just being loving. It's the season when we tend to spend more impulsively under the guise of being virtuous. So the challenge of this season is this. There are silent thoughts and attitudes that we have about money. And those attitudes are incredibly adapt at camouflaging themselves, especially during a season like the holiday season. See, most of us, we have no idea the problem that they are creating for us because they hide in our justifications and they hide in our rationalizations, making them very hard to see in ourselves. And because they camouflage themselves so well, We've come up with so many ways that we rationalize and we justify these thoughts and these attitudes about money. And it kills us. It destroys us. Now, what we do is we make everything we do with our money sound so noble and so virtuous as if somehow it's a reflection of the core of the goodness of our heart when we're really just running ourselves into the ground putting more debt on ourselves. So your challenge your challenge during the next three weeks is not to dismiss and, and assume that these attitudes and thoughts are harmless because scripture talks about these attitudes and these thoughts. Jesus brings these out. The apostles bring these out. So don't sit and think, oh, well, it's just not, this is not, it's harmless for me. I'm not, I don't have that problem. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to do the hard work of being honest with yourself about these attitudes and how they affect you. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to discover two of the underlying attitudes that drive our spending habits. These two attitudes, they do more harm to us financially than most of us realize. You might want to write them down. They are the attitude or the appetite for more and pride. Those are the two, two of the first. We'll share some more over the next few weeks. But these are two attitudes and thought processes that we have that drive our spending habits. So let's start by looking at the appetite for more. The staggering numbers that we're about to look at, they reveal that most of us are not living contented lives with what we have. I mean, even though our standard in this generation is better than any previous generation, Think about this. Americans have a record <coughs> of 1 trillion 31 billion in credit card debt. We also have a total of 1 trillion 770 billion in student loan debt. 
I mean, those are staggering amounts of money when you think about it, especially when you consider that credit cards oftentimes and student loans are at a very high interest rate. And you're responsible to pay these things back. And, and the question is, why would we do that to ourselves? I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. At the same time, there's this new survey that came out this year that says that 57% of Americans, that means like six out of 10 Americans, cannot cover a $1,000 emergency expense from their savings. I mean, six people out of 10 basically could not cover a $1,000 emergency out of their savings. Now, for some people, the problem is that they barely make enough money to pay for what they need, so more money might help them. But that's not the problem for most people. For most of us, the trouble isn't that we need more money. Think about it this way. If I'm not good at managing what I already have, having more isn't going to make me a better manager. So the solution isn't just having more money. The solution is to have better discipline, a better perspective, and a better plan for being responsible with what I already have. But the opposite is also true. You can have plenty of financial margin, and you can be doing reasonably well, and there's money in the bank, and you don't carry any credit card debt, and you're sitting here, and you're just kind of full of yourself going, oh, I don't need this sermon series because I've got more than I'll ever need, and, and I take care of myself financially, and I can't believe all those losers out there that are so bad at their finances. Like, you have savings and investments for the future, but I will tell you, the attitude of pride can trip you up as well. Like, like you can spend and you can save money for yourself, for your own enjoyment or your own sense of security, and never think about the fact that you are, own, you are handling God's resources that he gave you to bless others, not just hoard for yourself. So here's what years of business experience and pastoring have taught me, and that is this. Being good with money isn't just about knowing what to do with your money, it's also knowing what your money is doing to you. Because here's the thing that I know is true. Money is always doing something to us. Money is always influencing our lives every day. And if you don't have the discipline to fight what money naturally does to you, then you are going to get wrecked by these attitudes of the appetite for more and pride. Now, what's interesting is the Apostle Paul, he, he made this point very clear when he wrote to his friend and his protege, Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor to the first century Christians living in the areas of the city around Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul is mentoring him. And these cities around Ephesus, they were like the epicenter of trade in the first century. So there are very wealthy individuals who are now following Jesus that are now part of this church. And the Apostle Paul, he knew that, I'm hitting puberty for those of you just noticing that, right? <laughs> and the Apostle Paul knew that these people, they face some unique challenges that money always brings, right? So he instructs Timothy, he says, here's how you pastor and how, here's how you guide these people to avoid these attitudes that money can create in our hearts. And if we're not careful, they will sabotage us financially. In fact, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. You can find this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 16 and 17. He says, here's what people need to be aware of uh, when it comes to attitudes and thoughts about money. Notice what he says. 
He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, some of you, whenever we get into this passage, you stop there and you think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. Because see, the truth is, none of us feel rich. No matter how much money you have, you don't naturally feel rich. Rich is always the other person, the other family, you know, who has more than whatever we have. But before you say that you're not rich in this present world, we all have heard of places, and some of you have been rich enough to go to places in this world where compared to those people in those places, you are very rich. In fact, the World Economic Forum this year says that 85% of the world lives on less than $30 a day. That means if you live on more than $30 a day, you're in the top 15% of the richest people in the world, which would be most of us. So if you stop and think about this, compared to most people in the world, we are rich. We just have to be reminded of this all the time. <clears throat> but for most of us, even the fact that we know that we are rich, it doesn't make us feel better about what we have. That's why the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, hey, remind those who are rich to be aware of what money does to you, what kind of attitudes it drives in you. Notice what kind of attitudes he talks about in the next verse, verse 17. Here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, that would be the pride, nor to put their hope in wealth. That's the appetite for more, which is so uncertain. So I want you to make sure you notice what the Apostle Paul is saying, this first thing that money does to you. He says, it has a tendency to pull you toward pride. Literally, the more you have, I want you to don't miss this, this is so important. The more you have, the more arrogant you are tempted to be. And when we're arrogant, we have this inflated sense of self-worth. And for some reason, as our net worth inflates, a false sense of self-worth does too. And we start looking down on other people who don't have as much as we do. You know why? Because our identity is tied to our possessions. Because we begin to measure our value based upon what we have and we base the other people's value based upon what they have. And because we have more, what we do is we start feeling like, well, I'm entitled to being treated better than everybody else. So the more you have, the more superior, thank you very much, the more superior you tend to feel. It's irrational, but it is real. <clears throat> In fact, this whole thing of feeling like you're superior because you have more, it didn't just start with you as an adult. It started with you in middle school. Like, because some of you went to middle school and you, you had more than other people, you felt like that somehow you were superior. You even, as a middle school student, if somebody had more, you kind of felt like, oh, they're better than me. That's not true. But that's not all that money does to you. It not, not only drives your sense of arrogance and entitlement. The more you tend to have, the more you tend to put your hope in wealth. You have this appetite. Well, I need more. That's where my hope is. So we put our hope in our wealth rather than in God to make us feel secure and safe and self-sufficient. And here's the reality. You should plan. You should save responsibly. But the more you get, 
The Apostle Paul says, the more you're pulled to putting your hope in your wealth, and you begin to believe that money is the solution to every problem that you have. I mean, we've all done that. I mean, think about this. When I was in my late 20s, mid, mid-20s, mid, mid to late 20s, somewhere around there, um, we were going through a really tough time financially. We were living in my in-law's basement. I always tell people, like, you can't get lower than that in life than to live in your in-law's basement for six years. So when people come and whine to me about how hard life is, I'm like, okay, well, let me just tell you how you deal with life. You go as low as you go, can go, and then you learn how to handle money, right? And so bottom line is we were driving this rattle trap of a car that my dad gave me in exchange for a ski boat that I had. <laughs> Little did I know at the time when he made me give me a boat to exchange my boat for, his, for that car, he was saving the boat to give it back to me later when I got on my feet financially. But at the time, I didn't realize that, so he just took my boat and parked it under his shed. And I was furious at him. Like, well, you could have just gave me a stupid car. It's a piece of, you know, anyhow. Um, and it really was. It had holes in the bottom. So if we ran out of gas, Melody and I could just put our feet through the floorboard and we could just move the thing along like the Flintstones. It was bad. And I'll never forget when the transmission went out on this thing. And I, I'm praying desperately for God to give us the $500 to replace this transmission because we did not have it. And he did provide, and that's a story for another day. But guess what I do now when my car or my wife's car breaks down? You know, we swipe a card, which we pay off every month, or my wife writes an electronic check. I, like we don't have to sit down and pray for God to provide a, prepare, a, a, a repair bill because he's already provided it. But here's the problem with that. If I'm not careful, I start confusing the provider with the provision and start putting my hope in wealth. And what ends up happening at that point is you try to build up enough money to protect you from everything that might ever go wrong. And that's just an absolutely impossible goal. It's chasing a goal that will never be reached. It's why the appetite for more is just so toxic. Now, here's the reality. People in third world countries with little financial resources, they don't ever fall into this trap of putting, becoming arrogant or putting their hope in wealth. I mean, they've seen money disappear so many times. I mean, a new leader rises up one day and all of a sudden all the currency is gone and they got this new currency. I mean, they've been disappointed so many times about hope and money that they never get fooled into putting their hope into wealth. But for those of us in America, the more we get, the deeper into this trap that we fall and we start to hoard money and we start to hoard stuff to make us feel safe and to make us feel secure. See, that is the gravitational pull of money. It's always pulling us toward pride and to put our hope in wealth, the desire for more. And you know this if you think about it. That demand, that appetite for more, it also requires more from you. How many of you have ever got to a place where you had so much stuff where you say, you know, this more is not helping me, I'm having to take care of all the more. I'm having to keep up the more. And then we start grumbling because, you know, our evenings, our weekends are trying to, you know, repair and keep up the more. See, there comes this point when no matter what you have, 
It isn't satisfying. And you're caught in this unending trap, what we call the cycle of accumulation. So here's what I want to tell you. And, that, and that's where most Americans are right now. So if you don't want the unquenchable appetite for more to get you, if you don't want pride to get you, if you want to find safety and security that cannot be shaken, you have to develop a practical plan. You have to be intentional to fight this. And the Apostle Paul, he gives us a plan to conquer the, the destructive money attitudes that can sabotage every one of us. It, it requires a, don't miss this, it requires a fundamental change in our mindset. Don't miss that. There's a mindset shift that has to happen. And there are two key habits that we have to develop. And you say, where do you get this mindset shift and this, these habits? Well, the Apostle Paul gives them to us in this passage. Here's the change in mindset. Now, this is the last part of verse 17. He says, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be proud, nor to put their hope in the wealth. This whole, don't get caught up in the appetite for more. But to put their, <coughs> but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, the change in mindset is to put your hope in God. And you go, well, how do I put my hope in God? Well, here's how you put your hope in God. You start recognizing that God is ultimately the provider of everything that you have. Don't miss that, that God is the provider of everything that you have. In other words, you can't think for a moment like you're the provider. Not for a moment. You can't think for a moment like you're the owner of your riches. He's saying, no, you have to put your hope in God, which means you have to think like a manager, a steward of God's resources. See, owners, they think that they're the reason that they have all they do. Financial managers realize, oh no, I'm not the reason I have all I do. I'm just responsible for managing this. I am not the source of this. Sure, I worked hard and I made some good decisions, but I didn't control where I was born. I didn't control all the opportunities I've been given. I didn't control getting the gifts and the abilities and the, and the talents that God gave me to make these resources or make this money. See, all of those gifts, they came from God. He has provided everything. Can we all say that together at all of our campuses? He has provided everything. Most of us don't think about it that way. See, once I recognize that God has provided everything, even my intellectual ability, my talents to make the money, the ability to learn and to grow. He's provided all of that. Then my hope, it shifts from my provision, which is my hope and wealth, to my provider, which is hope in God. And when that happens, now I'm willing to follow the plan and the that the provider has for his stuff and that he's placed under my care. And that, and that involves two habits, and we're going to see these two habits in verse 18. Notice what he says. He's to command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So there are two habits here. And these two habits are how you combat the pull of wealth. And the habits are you do good and you be generous. Think about it. It's hard to be arrogant if you spend all of your time thinking about how you're going to do good with what you have. And 
You won't just be about wanting more and more and more when you're thinking about how can I be generous with my time and my resources? See, it's as one person said, you need to live in such a way with the blessings that God has given you. You need to live in such a way that people will not be amazed with, by what you drive and where you live. No, you need to live in such a way with the blessings that God has given you that, God, that people will be amazed by what you have done to bless others with what you drive and where you live. But that's not how most of us think because we've got into this cycle of accumulation of more of these. We've let it just, oh, it's more about me. Now, now here's why this is so important for us to think about and consider in our own lives. Studies show that the more a person has, the more a person has a tendency, and this is not true for everyone, but for the majority of people, the less they're likely to serve, give of their time, and the less likely they are to give the same percentage of people who have less. Now, they may in amount give more, but their percentage is less. So here's the thing. If you want to avoid the attitudes, the money attitudes, that pull your hope toward things or make you hope in things and wealth and keep you wanting more and more, then you have to have a practical plan and a practical path. And the practical path is to develop the disciplines to do these three things, to give, save, and live, meaning spend with a plan. So this is the path and plan that keeps money from doing something to you without you even realizing it. I mean, it has to be an intentional decision that you are not going to let money drag your heart in the wrong direction. Now, the way that you remember this is you just make it your pattern and your plan for your life. So every time you get money, you, you make the decision that, hey, I'm going to prioritize giving over everything else. I'm going to prioritize being generous. So you take every paycheck that you get, and before you spend a dime or you save any of it, what you do is you give. You give a percentage of your pay away. And my thing is I'm not one of these preachers that's going to stand up here. You need to give a certain percentage. You just need to start giving a percentage away. Decide what that percentage is going to be. Now, the reason this is so hard to do is because you think you need it all. But here's the thing. You just think you need it all because, see, you don't have a plan for what you want to do with your money and where it's going to go, so you think you need it all. So giving first is about developing this heart of generosity that focuses on others before self because here's the thing. Where your money goes first is where your heart is going to follow. And if you go, if your money goes to you first, can I tell you what your heart's going to be? It's all going to be about you. If your money goes to bless other people first, then your heart will be about other people. Listen, if you're not being generous, and I'm not mean giving to RCC, if you don't trust our church, then you need to go give it to some other organization out there that you believe is doing a great work. But here's what I can tell you. Giving first will lead you to discover happiness that will last and contentment that will last because happy, Jesus said basically, happy is the person who lives, whose life revolves around giving rather than receiving. So first of all, you give a percentage of what you have a way to do good. And then the second thing you do is you save. You save a percentage so that you can have time to serve and do good. Before you make any purchase, pay yourself, you, you put some money into savings. Now, let me just ask you this. When your last $1,000 unexpected car repair hit, did you wish you had more money saved up? And if you did, then you need to start right now getting this emergency plan in place, this emergency savings plan. 
So this habit of saving is something like you do every payday. You want to develop some kind of financial self-control, self-discipline. So first thing you do is you give, you save. And then the third thing you do is you live. You spend with a plan, right? So you need a spending plan every month. You decide in advance, hey, here's what we're going to spend our money on during this month, right? Here's where it's going to go. This is how much it's going to go to giving. This is how much it's going to go to saving. This is how much we're going to live on the rest. And I understand different seasons of life is going to change. And, and this is something you just got to have to keep working over and over. But here's the thing. If you don't tell your money where to go, you're always going to wonder where your money went, right? Like if there's not a way you're tracking it, it's always going to wonder, like, where did it go? Now, in fact, I helped a couple with this recently, and they came back and said, oh, we have like $1,000 a month in margin. We thought we were broke, but we have $1,000 a month in margin. Now, here's the thing I know. This is not a new idea for many of you. But why we're talking about it is because most of you have never practiced it. 57% of people, meaning six out of 10 people, RCC, would not have $1,000 to cover an emergency. For emergency. And here's why we don't practice this. Because it requires two things. You want to write these down. It requires, number one, trust in God. It requires trust in God. You can't live this plan without placing all of your hope in God, surrendering all your finances to God, saying God is yours. Because this plan won't allow you to hoard for your own safety and security. Like, if you're giving money away, you're now having to trust God to provide everything that you need in the future. Because if, if you're giving money away, you're like, oh, this is money I could be saving up for myself, but I'm giving this away first. So it's going to require you to trust God in the future. The second thing it's going to require, it's going to require the discipline to say no to myself. And we Americans are just not good at this, are we? It requires the discipline to say no to me so I can say yes to something much better. It requires the discipline to, to live within my means and not put things on this buy now, pay later kind of plan like credit cards and other programs that uh, companies and organizations have out there. Like these are habits or these habits here of trusting in God and the discipline to say no myself and living with the plan of give, save, and live. They are going to be the thing that keeps your heart from secretly being drawn toward arrogance and self-sufficiency. It's what keeps your heart free to love people and be content with what you have. See, the truth is, a financial hole is oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes is due to lack of self-control. Now, if you're not sure where to start, or how to change, let me show you a simple resource that's going to help you. If you got the RCC app, make sure you pull it out right now. Because if you go to our RCC app, you'll see down at the bottom a little tab called More. Click on the More tab at the bottom. And then click on Digital Resources, and then scroll until you see a, a tab called Ramsey Plus. This resource is free to you because of the generosity of people in our church who've learned to live this way, and they're paying it forward. And here's the thing. If you'll sign up on this, it'll walk you through some simple steps to live life this way. You reach out to us, we'll be glad to help you at all of our churches, all of our campuses. I mean, we have people who have been trained to do this. They love this. They would love to help you develop a plan to give, save, and to live. So here's what we want to invite you to do this week as we get started in this conversation. And it's going to get more painful as we go. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, right? But here's the thing. We want you to ask yourself this question. What step do you need to take so that you can begin the journey to give, save, and live on a plan. 
I want you to spend some time looking at your heart to find where your hope really is. And if you're sitting here today and you're going, oh, I got this, I'm so good at this, I'm better than everybody else, and you're kind of feeling smug and arrogant, next week you don't want to miss. But be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And, and, and if you realize that your hope has shifted from your provider to your provision, make the commitment to say, God, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to take the Apostle Paul's advice and I'm going to have the discipline to develop a plan to fight the current and the pull of money and what it does on my heart. But more importantly, God, and this is something that all of us have to do, is to say, God, I am going to think like a manager. I'm going to think like a steward of your resources. When I get in that car to drive out of the parking lot today, I'm going to realize this is your car I'm driving. When I put these clothes on, I'm going to realize these are your clothes that I am wearing. You've given me all of this. This is all the money that I have. It's, it's yours that I'm managing. So I'm going to think like a manager, not an owner. And I'm going to figure out how to give and to save and to live and create this split spending plan. And if you do, here's what I can tell you. You'll be more content. You'll have more margin. But more importantly, you'll have more peace. And your heart will be free so that you can, become to know, or you can come to know God better. Because all of a sudden, you'll begin to realize, oh, no, I can trust God no matter what. So this week, I want you to remember this. Being good with money isn't just about knowing what to do with your money. It's also knowing what your money is doing to you. So start paying attention this week and then commit to take the steps to develop a plan to give, save, and, and, and live with a spending plan. So these attitudes, and we're going to look at two more over the next couple of weeks, they don't sabotage your heart and they don't get you, especially in this season where we can rationalize and justify spending money irrationally and getting ourselves in deep debt. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you not only love us enough to provide salvation for us, grace and forgiveness for all of our sin, but I thank you that you love us enough to give us practical advice on how to do life well, to have the margin that we need in order to be salt and light in the world, and also to be a testimony of your goodness in our lives so that we can coach and lead other people to living financially free. God, I just ask right now that your Holy Spirit just speak into each of our hearts those things that we need to hear through this series in order to find new levels of freedom personally, but also so that we can live and love as you have called us to live. God, I, I thank you. You've given us a plan in your word for how to do this. So as we go on this journey through your word the next few weeks, I just ask that you help us all be committed to being great stewards and managers of the resources that you have supplied for us. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being with us today. Can't wait to share next week with y'all. Have a great week.